pick a direction when you're dealing with a text like this because there's so many different uh, various components to it. You could take it in the direction of leadership. You could take it in the direction of faith. You could take it in the direction of what to do practically when all hell breaks loose. There's so many facets to it. And the text literally drips with principles. And, and what you want to look for in the Old Testament is not just the narrative of the, of the story. You want to look for the principles inside the narrative. And there's, there's many here. And, and you can't even start. It, it would do great uh, injury and injustice to this text to start talking about it just from verse one, starting with Elisha and this woman. Because really, you're not supposed to mention Elisha in the Bible without first bringing up his predecessor, Elijah. And uh, in, in, this, in the famous account of uh, a chariot of fire coming down and picking up Elijah and his mantle falling, uh, what preceded that was uh, before he was about to be taken from the earth, uh, the older prophet Elijah said to the younger prophet Elisha, he said, you've served me so well. Um, what can I do for you? What, what, can I, what can I render back to you for your service to me all of these years? And the younger prophet said, I would like a double portion of your spirit. When he says your spirit, he's saying your anointing. What's anointing? It's an empowerment from God. It's a, it's a tangible substance. You can feel that God is working and operating through you and other people can feel it as well. So he says, I, I want your spirit, your mantle of ministry, your anointing, your ability. I want all of that times two. And this is very interesting that he asked for this. He doesn't ask for the empowerment to start his own ministry. He doesn't ask for a launching pad, which would have been very easy for Elijah to give him. He looks at Elijah and he says, I want to be you times two. And when you dig down in that, it's really beautiful. And it's, it's somewhat rare in these days. Elisha knew what he was. He knew that he was not called by God to be a voice. He was called to be an echo. Now, there's only two types of ministries in the scripture. There's ministries that were voices, and there's ministries that were echoes. You see it in the life of Moses. Moses was a voice. Joshua was an echo. You see it in the life of the Apostle Paul. He was a voice, but Timothy was an echo. You see it with Jesus. Jesus was a voice. The disciples were the echoes. And so, you know, we live in a day and time today where everybody wants to be a voice. But if everybody's a voice, then we lose the power and the reach of the echo. Because the truth of the matter is, the echo can travel a lot further 
than the voice. The echo can reach places that the voice never would be able to reach. And I just want to pause and parenthetically insert that if the things I'm teaching and preaching are being a blessing to you, why not consider being an echo? Take what's helping you and go out into your life, into your Monday through Saturday, into the people you speak to, into the people you interact with, and why not echo some of the stuff that God is saying to you through me? You, you, it's a valuable thing to be an echo. You speak to people in your everyday that I will never speak to as long as I live. But the reach becomes powerful when you have the two together. You have a voice and, and an echo. So Elisha had come to grips with what he was. And he said, I, I want everything you got. I want it times two. And so the older prophet Elijah, he looks at him and he said, you've asked a hard thing. And I've always studied that, you know, because Elijah, this is the only time he said something was a hard thing. Elijah was a bad prophet. I mean, when you get time, just do your study on his exploits. He was a bad man. And it wasn't like him to say something was, was, was hard, you know. But he looks at him and he said, you've asked a hard thing. And the more I studied it, I realized it wasn't going to be a hard thing for Elijah, the older man, to give him a double portion of what he was. He says, it's going to be a hard thing for you, Elisha, because the reason it's going to be hard is you have to wait and be in position to see me when I'm taken up. And only if you see me with your eyes when I am taken up, only then can you have the double portion of what I am. In other words, the principle, remember I told you, it's not just the narrative, it's the principle. The principle is, if you want to be me times two, you have to stick around long enough and maintain close proximity until I am taken up. And this is difficult for the next generation. This is difficult for the younger generation because every generation that goes, it seems like we lose a little bit of our stick-to-itiveness. We lose a little bit of our old school faithfulness. We lose a little bit of our ability to be committed to something or someone. If things get tough on the job, we bounce. If things get tough in the relationship, we are out. If things get difficult in the church, we go and find a new one. It, 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 it doesn't matter, it seems to us, to stick around through the difficult seasons. And, and we love a ministry as long as it is blessing us. But after it finishes blessing us and maturing us and raising us up, all of a sudden we want to go somewhere else because we no longer feel that we're being blessed and fed on the level we were before. The thought never enters our minds that once you been picked up from the ground and blessed and matured and strengthened, it might be time for you to turn around and be a blessing to the place that blessed you. But, but Elisha's, he's special because, because he's more talented than Elijah, okay? He's more educated than Elijah. He has more revelation than Elijah, and he's got to take all of that and just sit and wait until the prophet goes up. 
And he has the desire to do it because he's saying, Elijah, I don't just want a double portion of your material. I want a double portion of your mantle. Anybody can take someone's material and add to it and expound. It wouldn't be hard for the younger prophet to take the older prophet's material and take it and make it relative to the next generation. That's easy to do. He said, I'm not concerned about the material. I want the mantle. The, the mantle represents his spiritual ministry in a natural icon or a natural symbol. So he stays. And the story says that when the chariot comes and grabs Elijah, that he tosses the mantle over the side and it, it falls down to the ground and Elisha goes and picks it up. And another principle, just while we're dropping principles from the text, another principle is as soon as he picked it up, he went straight to the Jordan River and hit the Jordan with the mantle and said, where is the God of Elijah? And the Jordan parted hither and thither. In other words, whenever a mantle is picked up, it must be tested immediately. Because how will you know whether you wasted your time following somebody that wasn't legitimate? When a mantle is dropped, you need to go pick it up and you need to test it. When a prophetic word is dropped, you need to pick it up and you need to test it. When an instruction is given, you need to pick it up and you need to test it. Because our God is a God that is supernatural, but that can be practically and naturally experienced. Our God is not just a spiritual healer. He will heal you naturally. He's not just a spiritual blesser. He will bless you naturally and so you must learn to put into test and into practice the things you were taught in your faith because our faith is a faith you can see it's a faith you can experience it's a faith that carries practical victories it's a faith that carries winning streaks with it it's a faith that carries power and so and so Elisha goes and he tests the mantle and and he's walking with the mantle and and he's continuing the ministry and he would go on in the scripture to perform double the amount of miracles that Elijah performed all with the same mantle the same message and the same spirit and also incidentally he ended up doubling the enrollment in Elijah's college in his school the school of the prophets, which provides a nice segue to our text this morning. Because when the amount of people that you're caring for doubles, the responsibilities double, the problems that they bring to you will double. And so in verse chapter, uh, in verse chapter one of our, our chapter four and verse one of second Kings, it says a certain woman of the college the wives of the sons of the prophets. She came to Elisha saying, your servant, my husband is dead. And you know that he feared the Lord. Now, Elisha thinks that he is coming to look in on a widow after tragedy. He thinks that he's coming after the fallout. You know, the tragedy, the fallout was the man died. 
And so he thinks he's just coming to provide some comfort and, and to provide some encouragement. But when he arrives, she reveals to him that one crisis has led to another. Have you ever had one crisis? And, and her tone, her tone reveals her turmoil because she, she lets him know, um, my husband has died an untimely death. He's left the family in a massive amount of debt. And it's bad enough that the man that has represented all of my past up to this point in my life is gone. But now the debt is so bad that the creditors are coming and they're going to take my two sons, my future, into slavery until the debt's worked off and there's so much debt I won't see them again probably for the rest of my life. And, and the tone of her voice, it reveals the turmoil. And, and, and there's some hidden underlying questions in the tone. Like, like, number one, does God know I'm going through this? Notice how she said it. Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know he feared the Lord. In other words, we've been living for God and serving you all of our lives. And now it's come to this. Your servant, my husband, is dead. And now the creditors are coming to take my son. Is this the reward? for living by faith and serving the kingdom of God? Is this the recompense for living a life of service to God's people? Your servant, my husband is dead. And we don't like to talk about it much in church, but it is horrifying when it looks like your faith is failing you. It is horrifying when it looks like the principles that you've been taught from the book are not working and the woman's in such a difficult place and she's grieving and she's and she's bitter and, but she does do one wise thing she takes her pain to the last place she'd been ministered to she takes her trouble to the last person God had used to bless her and I want to share this with you because inquiring of the Lord means interacting with the people he's known for using in your life. I'm going to say that again. See, see, everything that you go through, you can't just pray about it yourself. You can't get a breakthrough for everything you need just praying in your prayer closet. Jesus said, if any two of you touch and agree on earth, and he wasn't talking about you and your crazy half-high cousin. He was talking about if you in the congregation can come into agreement with an established man of God speaking the word of God, then in between the agreement of the two, I will show up and answer you. And I don't know why he chose to do it, but the God of heaven has made the decision 
to facilitate his power through the function of the ministry. And in the Old Testament, he did it through priests and prophets. In the New Testament, he does it through apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, and teachers, also known as the fivefold ministry, which makes up the leadership of the church. For some reason, God has confined his power to his body, the body of Christ, the church in the earth. So there are some breakthroughs that you need that you will never get until you connect to the church. That's why now is a terrible time to leave the church. It's why now is a terrible time to disconnect from the church because the church of Jesus Christ is the only entity that has the power and authority to move God's activity into your life. And so... And so the woman is frustrated with God, angry with God, but, but she knows I've got to take this to a power source. I've got to take this to somebody that God is known for using. So she takes it to Elisha and she pours out her frustration, but in the frustration, I can still see some faith. It's frustrated faith, but it is faith nonetheless. You have to look close to see it, but, but I could see it. I think you will too. Verse number two, Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? And in the text, she never answered his question. She doesn't answer because she ain't got no answers. Have you ever been in so much trouble you didn't even know how to ask for what you needed because you really didn't know exactly what you needed? She don't have any answers. So when he said, what can I do for you? She stayed quiet. And she stayed quiet because she had been around the prophet long enough to know that if she can stay quiet long enough for him to give her an instruction, she knows that instructions and miracles are always tied together. She doesn't need a sermon and she doesn't need a practical solution. She's in so bad, she's going to have to have a miracle. But she knows that in order to get a miracle to flow, first you need a prophetic instruction. Look all through your Bible and you will notice a pairing of instructions and miracles. You remember Remember Naaman, who this Elisha told to go dip seven times in the Jordan and he'd be cured of his leprosy. Naaman went to the Jordan, dipped once. He was still a leper. Twice, three times, four times, five times, six times, he was still a leper. But on the seventh time, when he had fully obeyed the prophetic instruction, the Bible said that his skin was cleansed and he was totally renewed. There's always a correlation between instructions and miracles. You remember Jesus at, at the pool with the lame man and the lame man said I ain't got nobody to put me in the pool when the angel troubles the water Jesus said do you want to be made whole and he said again I told you I ain't got nobody to help me Jesus stands back and says rise up roll up your bed pick it up and walk out of here if you have the faith to get up and follow the instruction then the miracle will follow your faith in the instruction you remember the blind man that Jesus spoke 
spit in the ground and made mud and put the mud on the blind man's eyes. He said, if you want to get your sight, then go to the pool of Siloam and wash this off. Jesus, I can't see yet, I know, but if you'll follow the instruction in the dark, if you'll follow the instruction not understanding it, if you'll follow the instruction while you're still blind, the act of faith and obedience in following the instruction will cause the miracle to flow to your life. Moses, the Red Sea that's trapping you will part for you and become a highway but first you've got to stretch out your rod the miracle and the instruction were tied together Lazarus will come out of the grave Mary and Martha but first you got to roll away the stone anywhere in scripture you see a miracle you'll also see an instruction so the woman, she is the wife of the prophet. And there are some benefits to being the wife of the man of God. <laughs> she knew how the sausage was made, so to speak. And so she knows, I got to have a miracle. But first, I need this man to give me an instruction. So he says, what can I do for you? She stands back. You can keep talking. And the Bible says, then Elisha asked her the second question. He says, well, tell me then, verse 2, what do you have in the house? Now, here's where the anointing of the prophet, the anointing that came from God, here's where the anointing of prophet starts to flow in the text. He said, what do you have in the house? And, and what, what do you have in the house? It's, 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 it's almost an insulting question. Because if you do the background and study on this, you'll find out the creditors that come and take all the furniture. They took all the animals, they took the plow, they took the wagon, they took everything. So he, he's, he's looking at her in the doorway and looking behind her at an empty house. And he has the gall to ask, what do you have in the house? And, and the question's almost insulting because it presupposes that she has overlooked a resource that God had left in her house. It presupposes that, honey, you may have lost a lot of stuff, but I know God didn't let you lose everything. What you got left in the house? You know? and, and, so, and so she's a little upset. A little attitude is creeping up. You can see it in the text. A little attitude. Who do you think you are? I live in this house. I was in this house when they came and took everything out of this house. What do you mean? What's in my house? I wake up in this house. I go to sleep in this house. This, this is my house. And that's the problem. Because when you live around divine things, it's easy to take them for granted. And he presupposes you've overlooked an answer that God left you in your own house. And it's very possible that you too have overlooked an answer that God has left you in your own house. She said, I ain't got nothing in. Do you want to come in? 
I ain't got nothing in the, you want to know what I got in this house? I ain't got nothing but a little jar of his old anointing oil. That's all I've got in the whole house. And, and remember, it's not just the narrative we want to look at, folks. We want to look at the principle. And the principle is this. God doesn't need anything you lost in order to bless you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The blessing of God always functions not through what you lost. The blessing of God comes and functions through what you have left. In other words, he's telling you your answer is in something you already have. But that's, that's Old Testament, and that's good. But we see it in the New Testament as well. We see it all through the Scripture. When Jesus is about to feed 5,000 people, the disciples said, should we go and buy some food? Jesus said, no. What do you already have? Well, all we have is five loaves and two fish. That's what I want to work the miracle with. I want to work the miracle with what's already there. And see, this is counter to our culture and our society. Our culture and our society likes to sell us on the idea that we don't have what we need to get what we want. We don't have the education we need to get the job we want. We don't have the looks we need to get the spouse we want. I mean, diet pill companies and gyms and all these kind of places survive on the selling point of you don't have what you need right now to get what you want, so take our pill for $30.99, and if you take it twice a day for 30 days, you'll be able to have... They're selling you on the idea. You don't have enough. They're selling you on the idea of education, and education is great, I'm not knocking it, but they're selling you on the idea that you are going to be a total failure and a fool if you don't go get our piece of paper and spend $150 million trying to get this degree. They're trying to sell you on the idea that what you have isn't enough, that you need something else. Self-help gurus are selling books by the billions with the idea you need something I'm going to teach you and show you because you ain't got the life you want right now. And then God comes along and says, I'm going to do everything in your life that you need. And watch this. You ain't got to go nowhere else and get something that you don't have. I'm going to do everything you need through something that you already have. The power is already in you. Oh, I feel like preaching now. I got to be careful. I said you got something in your house. You got something in your life. You got something near you. David, you don't need Saul's armor to kill Goliath. Go fight the giant with the slingshot that you already have. Samson, you don't need a sword to kill a thousand Philistines. Pick up the jawbone of a dead donkey that's already at your feet. Your answer is closer to you than you've ever dared realize, but, but you've overlooked it because it hadn't been sold to you. You've overlooked it because nobody charged you for it. You've overlooked it because you're approaching the kingdom of God with the mentality of the kingdoms of this world. And you don't think it's valuable if it's already in your hands. 
you have learned in materialistic things and in relationships and in job and everything else. You've learned to only appreciate it while it escapes you and to underappreciate it and devalue it once it is in your possession. And we take that mentality home with us. We loved our spouse before we got them. We gave them flowers. We rubbed backs. We rubbed feet. We went on date. We'd sing songs in the kitchen. We do. Oh, look at me like you ain't never sang no songs in the kitchen before you got married. We went crazy. We went all out. Then we got them. You was going for that job. Sir, I'll work overtime. You ain't got to even pay me for the overtime. I'll do everything. I mean, I mean, I'll do my job. And if you need somebody to clean the office, I'll clean the office. And then you get it. Lord, if you'd just send me a good church and a good pastor, I'd be faithful. I just hadn't had anybody that could preach me your word and, and read my mail and prophesy and pray over me. If you sent me a community of good people and, and good leadership, I'd be there every time the doors are open. So she's just like us. She's walking by something powerful. And doesn't understand it because she views it as normal. No, no. She views it as less than normal. She views it, oh God, as nothing. So many people today view the things of God as nothing. I got my title. I got my title today. What's with the oil? I got it from something I heard. I heard someone uh, send me uh, a message. Someone sent me and they said, we really enjoyed the service. But then things got weird because you got this oil out and started putting it all over people's heads. And they said, I like your preaching, but what's with. I mean, surely there's nothing powerful about this. You say, what's in your house? Listen to her. Nothing. I mean this, but really nothing. Nothing but this, this little pot of oil. And now the waves of anointing and power get, get deeper in the text. Because finally, when she brings up the oil, the prophet is about to release an instruction. Every real prophetic instruction contains a divine strategy designed to break the limitations of your current situation. And if it's a real prophetic instruction, it will usually make zero sense. I'm going to say that again. Some of you are still processing that. Every real prophetic instruction contains within it a divine strategy designed to break the limitations of your current situation. And if it is a real prophetic instruction, it will rarely make any natural sense. 
And so he's getting ready to release the instruction. Verse 3, he said, go borrow vessels. And I just get through telling you I'm in so much debt. They're about to enslave my boys for the rest of my natural life. And to a person in debt, you're telling her to go borrow. Go borrow vessels. Thank you, Larry. Let's follow Larry's example. Go borrow vessels from everywhere. Empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. Now, what's the principle? The principle is he's teaching her to increase her capacity. Because when you're coming to a big God... You can't bring a tiny cup. When you're coming to a big God, you can't bring a tiny request. When you're coming to a big God, God won't even get involved with it unless there is faith behind the request. And he knew if she went out and borrowed one or two vessels that that wouldn't be enough faith to motivate the miracle to flow. So he said, I want you to go borrow vessels from everywhere, fill up every square inch in your house with these vessels, and then we're going to see God do something. And I want to tell you, stop walking through life claiming to believe in God, claiming to stand on the promises of God, even coming to church and clapping your hands, but having no capacity for expectation, having no faith for seeing miracles in your life. You may believe in a miracle for someone else, but you carry no capacity for faith to believe that God will move for you. And I want to announce to you this morning, God wants to do something in your life. I've come to prophesy at this point in the service that the month of March is going to be the month of breakthrough. There will be a breakthrough and a breaking out of the miracles of God. After affliction always comes breakthrough. Something a few of you may not have known. A couple of weeks ago, one of our elders, Pastor Noel, his son was in a horrific car accident. The Lord spared his life, but it could have been, it could have been very different. And then yesterday, Pastor Daniel, his daughter, Alexis, was in a horrific car accident. The Lord spared her life. Could have been bad. It wasn't. But there's been affliction working through the headship of our ministry. There's been difficulties in the lives of the other elders, too. And, and, and there's been affliction. And affliction does visit the people of God. But there's a principle. The Bible says in the book of Exodus that when God looked down and saw the Egyptians afflicting his people, that God began to multiply them and God started to deliver them. And after affliction will always come breakthrough. After affliction will always come blessing. So if you're a part of this house and you're a part of this church, you can look at what's happening in the headship and set your watch by it. The month of March is going to be the beginning of a breaking out of miracles and deliverance and breakthrough because after affliction always comes power after affliction always comes a response from God I want to tell somebody who's been weeping over the affliction that you've been going through God sent me here and you here today for two to agree on earth that affliction is going to be broken and miracles are going to break out in your life if you receive it give God praise right where you're standing Ah, oh, hallelujah.
hallelujah physical affliction is being broken relational affliction is being broken financial affliction is being broken go ahead get your calendar set your watch set you an alarm in the month of march you're going to begin to see a breaking of affliction affliction is breaking oh yes that affliction in your spine that affliction with your hips that affliction with your lungs that affliction in your mind that affliction in your mental health that affliction with your child that affliction with your parents that affliction in your life that affliction in your body that affliction in your house that affliction in your money that affliction on your job is breaking is breaking shout with me it's breaking it's breaking it's breaking it's breaking after affliction comes a breaking after affliction comes a breaking after affliction comes a breaking i wish i had 15 people to help me give god praise that we know the truth that after affliction your neighbor and holler it's breaking it's breaking it's breaking it's breaking push somebody and say it's breaking somebody run with that woman right there and say it's breaking it's breaking it's breaking the trauma from the abuse you suffered it's breaking the trauma from the heartache you went through it's breaking the trauma from the relationship you lost the marriage you lost the child you lost is breaking break 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 yeah Oh yes! So she qualifies Rebo Shanderebeheya. She qualifies for an unusual miracle for two biblical reasons. There were two boxes that were checked. Number one, she knew the principle about miracles and instructions. But number two, she had just suffered the affliction of burying her husband. And after affliction comes a breakthrough. So he says in verse 4, increase your capacity listen to me christian world increase your capacity increase the size of your prayers increase the expectation you ask for increase your faith request increase what you're believing god for push somebody and say increase your capacity no push them and say increase your capacity Push them until you make them nervous. Push them until you annoy them and say, God said, 
the preacher said and now I'm saying increase your more 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 ah, more 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 increase your then he says get every empty vessel you can side note God can't work with the full because there's no room to pour anything in so miracles always break out in the lives of people who are empty go get as many empty jars empty vessels empty containers go get me a bunch of stuff with a lot of capacity then verse 5 next instruction once you shut the door because what God's about to do in your life is going to be so unusual that if the people around you see it they'll come looking in your windows and looking in your door and they'll start saying things like what's with the oil in other words this miracle ain't for somebody else. And it ain't for your viewing pleasure. This is something between me and God. Where God proves himself to be my deliverer. Where God proves himself to be my breakthrough artist. Where God proves to be what we need in this moment. This ain't for your viewing this ain't for your consumption. And there's some people in your life you need to learn how to shut the door while God's working. Is every time God really starts doing something good with you, that crazy relative calls or those neighbors want to come over or your friends from 10 years ago want to come messing around in your stuff, messing around in your life, giving you all that kind of ungodly advice. When God is working on your behalf, learn to go in and shut the door on everybody. Tell your neighbor, increase your capacity. Tell your neighbor, shut the door. And then he said, I want you to pour the little oil out into all those vessels. I don't know if you can see that. That's just a little bit. See, what we like to do sometimes in theology is we like to study the anatomy of a miracle. Where was the miracle component? Was it the prophet? No, he just gave the instruction. Was it the oil? No. It was in the faith the woman had to take a little bit and expect that a little bit when touched by God could do a whole lot. 
See, the enemy loves to mock us for our little bit. And people love to mock us for our little bit. Only God invites you to bring your little bit. And he says, watch till I'm through with it. Watch till I put something on it. Watch till I multiply it. She said, Pastor, you mean this little bit? Gonna fill up all those containers. You never know, honey, until you start pouring. That's the next principle, okay? Listen, you who've been depressed, hurting, afflicted, going through misery, listen to me. The tendency is when you are up under duress, the tendency is when you are up under attack, the tendency is to hold back and not pour anything. Nobody pours when they're miserable. Nobody pours when they're grieving. Nobody pours when they've lost everything and their, their boys are about to be taken as slaves. Nobody pours because it's not natural. But it is supernatural. He's trying to teach her. If you will dry your tears. And stand up and straighten your back. And through your pain and your misery. You will have the boldness and the faith. To pick up these jars. And to pour this thing out. If you will dare to believe in God enough that this thing can move in your life and that God can take the little that you do have and multiply it into more than enough. If you have the courage to keep pouring while you're hurting, pouring while you're weeping, if you have to dry your eyes and dry your nose and then pick it back up and keep pouring, do whatever you have to do, but don't stop pouring. It's a, it's a principle, it's a key for getting through times of misery where you would rather just die. Put off dying for just a minute and start pouring. And watch what God does when you're willing to pour out of a painful heart. Or you're willing to serve when your mind is up under siege. Or you're willing to be a blessing to the kingdom. When you're willing to pour... And the Bible says, once the oil started flowing, oh, it's another principle. Once the oil started flowing, you don't hear me. I've made you tired in 40 minutes. I've only been preaching 40 minutes and you're tired. Once the oil started flowing, are you listening? The oil did not stop. Only she did. The oil flowed until she had filled up every container that she had or until it reached the end of her capacity. What failed first, the oil or her capacity? That little 
tiny, pitiful, nothing jar of oil filled up to the brim every one of these containers. What I do now, pastor, he's going to release another. What you don't understand, what I need to give to you is that each instruction created a miracle. First of all, can I take my time? Or are you bothered with me? Can we get like the old church for a minute? Y'all holler back at me a lot so I don't feel like I'm killing you. Okay. Okay. Michael, catch this. She's in debt. She's a widow and has become a burden to the community and specifically her neighbors. So it's going to take a miracle just for her to go borrow vessels. But the miraculous ability that was going to be placed on her to be able to go get a vessel from anybody that she asked for was inside the instruction. Go borrow vessels, empty vessels, borrow not a few. Go everywhere, even to her house down the street, seven houses down. Go everywhere. And then there was another instruction that would cause the oil to multiply because the word of the Lord was fill all the jars with that little bit of oil. That little bit of oil had to be multiplied because the word of the Lord prophetically was, it's got to fill. Next, next, the next prophetic word was go sell it. I got to give you this so you don't read this text in ignorance. He wasn't telling her to go peddle it. Hey, anybody want some oil? Oh, oh, you over here, you want some oil? Anybody go to the rodeo? Does it, has anybody gone to the rodeo? Man, so y'all need to go to the rodeo, Lord. It's the best rodeo in the nation. Go to the rodeo. Brothers, take your wife to the rodeo. What's wrong with you? Anyway, you go to the rodeo and they have all these food vendors and then they have all these, these stations and you just walk by, everybody's trying to sell you something, okay? You walk, it's the same thing, you walk through the mall, they got those little carts, everybody's peddling, they're trying to sell you something. He is not telling her, go pedal. He's saying, I'm putting an anointing on you right now that's gonna sell itself. There's an anointing on you. Y'all, don't start those slides yet. I'm, I'm not ready for that yet. He said, there's an anointing that's gonna come on you that's going to enable you to sell. Do you know some people have an anointing today to sell? I don't know if you've ever been around one of them. Those jokers are anointed to sell. There's just something on them, okay? You can put them in any company. They can sell hammers or mattresses. I mean, it just doesn't matter what it is. They can sell it, okay? If you're in sales, you ought to pray every day. Father, give me the anointing to sell. Okay. Okay. So let's look at what's with the oil, but let's look at it from a little different perspective. 
what comes along with that old oil? Okay. And it's right here in the text, and there's plenty of biblical references to back it all up. Point number one, what's in the oil? He says, I'm going to give you an anointing of favor to go borrow containers. This anointing will cause people to give you what you ask for. Lift up your hands. This is an anointing coming on you today. An anointing of favor. Bishop has walked in this for years. Bishop will show up to Home Depot and need something and, and just ask for it. They won't even charge. It's crazy. I've watched my father fall backwards into ridiculous deals, ridiculous real estate, ridiculous stuff, just because he carries this anointing of favor that will cause people to give you what you ask for. Are you hearing me? This is real. It's an anointing of favor that comes on you that will cause people to give you what you ask for. Everybody holler favor. Second anointing, an anointing of multiplication. This is coming on you. Listen to me. This is coming on you, an anointing of multiplication. Because in order for the oil to fill up every container, it had to multiply. And there's some of you, in order for you to keep going in your life, the truth of the matter is you just have to multiply. God is sending the oil, the anointing of multiplication. This anointing is not about Cadillacs falling out of the sky and, you know, a mysterious deposit for $5 million showing up in your bank account. No, this anointing enables you to take a little and do a lot with it. To turn a little into a lot. And then number three, number three, an anointing to sell. The prophet said, go sell the jars. Go sell the jars. You got to understand, she, she was about to go into a new business venture, but she was going into the business venture with the backing of God's word itself. She had been empowered by God to sell. God said, sell. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void and darkness upon the face of the deep. And the spirit of God moved over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And the evening and the morning was the first day. God didn't create the sun till the fourth day. That means for three creative days, there was light just because God's word said light. The same God that said, let there be light and there was light has just told this woman, go sell. Imagine what happens in your business, in your company. Uh, imagine what happens in your life when God says, go sell. So, so for five of you, God said, go sell. And she, she sold it. And she made all this money. And she comes back to the prophet. Oh, Lord, he's going to take an offering. 
I went and sold it all. He said, pay your debt. Pay your debt. Because God never asks you for anything that you don't already have. <laughs> God don't want your credit. He never asked you for anything that you don't already have. It may be a sacrifice to give what you already have, but he never asked for anything that you don't already have. Go. Go pay your debt. And then you and your sons, last instruction, and this one's powerful, it goes overlooked. Last instructions, you and your sons live on the rest. He told a woman, it's not, I, I, I think I'm failing to carry the concept. It's not like me saying, Pat, have a great day today, you know? It's not like a salutation. It's not like just an encouragement. It is a directive prophetic word with the authority of God the creator behind it. In other words, he looks at a woman in the same spirit of Ezekiel when Ezekiel was looking at a valley of dead dry bones and he looks at a woman who had been living with death and buried her husband and, and thought about burying her future and thought about burying all of her dreams he looks at a valley of dead dry bones with a skin suit wrapped around it just like the prophet Ezekiel looked at that same valley and he speaks to her the same word Ezekiel said he said live you and your sons live the antidote for death is living the antidote for death is living do you know death will take you long before it kills you Death will take you long before it kills you. Some people have living, been living in death 20 years before they finally die. So he gives her a word that releases a miracle that pays the debt. But God cares more than just about your money. Beloved, I would above all things that you prosper. And that you be in good health even as your soul prospers. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life. And that more abundantly. So he said, dry your eyes. Strengthen yourself. And start living. I came to tell somebody as I close my sermon, dry your eyes. Strengthen yourself and start living. I say to you by the word of the Lord, start living and live. Live on the rest of it. Live on. Live on the rest of it. What was provided would be enough. I am beating a dead horse. You... 
do you understand what this means? He's still prophesying under his office and unction and authority of God. So that means in the text, the oil multiplied twice. Alan, because it's got to be enough oil to go into all those containers. But now in his closing statement, it's got to last long enough for the rest of their lives. You know what this means? It means they would forever be in the oil industry. I feel bad because I want you to get this more than I feel like you want to. The, the, he, he, he turned a grieving widow with no experience and no prospects into an oil baron with a limitless lifetime supply. Some of, the, some of the rabbis said these people would end up providing oil for the temple. Anointing oil. That, that some of this oil was preserved and given to Zacharias. Zacharias, in his old age, had a miracle son. The Mishnah records that two gifts were given to his son. He was going to name his son Zacharias, but an angel came and said, his name will be John. And they came and they presented baby John with two gifts. One of them was the preserved mantle of Elijah made out of camel hair. When the Bible says that John went into the wilderness and he was clothed in camel hair, he was clothed in the ancient garment of Elijah. And second, he was presented a bottle of that oil that was multiplied and preserved by Elisha. No wonder the Bible says John ministered in the spirit of Elijah because no anointing ever leaves the earth. It just accrues and grows stronger generation by generation. But you have to have... In order for God's generational plan to work, you got to have two things. You got to have somebody that's got it, that's willing to pass it on. That's another message. And then number two, you got to have somebody who's willing and positioned to receive it. How many words have you been given that you didn't receive? How many instructions have you been given that you didn't follow? How many times was something powerful happening in a service and you look back and you just said, what's with the oil? God has something he wants you to receive. God has something he wants to do in your life. And I believe these three anointings, that anointing of favor, that anointing of multiplication, and that anointing to sell. I believe it's on you. So Father, right now, you know what? Give me that. 
No, 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 just keep, keep it kept. This, this mine, okay, I, I gave a outrageous gift to, uh, to a bishop that I know. And he called me up sometime later and said, I want, I, I've got an outrageous gift for you. And I got real happy because my gift was bananas. And so, so I went to see him to get my gift and he, he took this out and set it on the table. And I looked at it and in my mind I said, He said, there's an elderly rabbi in my church. He's a messianic Jew, which means a trained and established Jew following Judaism for his, most of his life that converted to Christianity without forsaking uh, the quality of the Torah and the tradition. And he has, he's gone into business and he only procures the highest quality items from around the world. And all he does is he, he makes anointing oil according to, and you can see it on the label, Exodus 30, verses 22 through 25. As an apothecary, he mixes every ingredient to the exact specifications as they were done in the tabernacle of Moses under the instruction of God himself. And then every minister that came in and preached and ministered for a year prayed over it. He said, I want to give you something outrageous. So I've been holding on to this. You know, it's anointing oil, but it's sitting in my cabinet like a trophy. Haven't opened it. That's why when he started to open it, I told don't open it. And this week I walked past it and I, I looked at it and I felt the Holy Spirit nudge me and say, what's with the oil? Because anointing oil is only useful if it's used. So I'm about to, I'm about to end service, okay? And what we're going to do is the musicians are going to stay and they're going to play and our elders are going to stay and they're going to kind of help me facilitate. But I want to give you two things. I want to give you a, an instruction. And then whether you listen to my instruction or not, whether you follow it or not, whether you're able or not, I want to pray and anoint with oil anyone in the building who wants it. And so what we're going to do is we're going to do the instruction first. I release a prophetic instruction in the name of Jesus for a harvest to come to you of favor, of multiplication, and of an anointing to sell. I speak that harvest and I challenge you to sow a seed 
to reap that harvest. A hundred dollar seed. A hundred dollar seed. A one hundred dollar seed. Check. Put it on your text to give thing. Put it online. Put it on card. Put a cat. Whatever it is. A hundred dollar seed. That's the instruction. That's the instruction. That's the instruction. A $100 seed. A $100 seed. Glory to God. Glory to God. If you don't have $100, get as close as you can. It's not about the amount, it's about the sacrifice. And my instruction today is to challenge you to the point of sacrifice to engage your faith and your capacity and your expectation. Get a $100 seed. Now, now, if you're giving, lift up your hand. Lord, you see every gift. And these gifts are in the form, not of offerings, but they're in the form of seeds. Lord, I pray that the principles of seed time and harvest be established in this moment over their sacrifice. And Lord, let the faith that is within them move. Let breakthrough come. Let affliction and difficulty be broken into pieces. And let miracles break out. Let the anointing of favor, the anointing of multiplication, and the anointing to sell break out over your people. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. The Lord bless you.